Hello, and welcome to another episode of Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Let's get to it. All right, Dave, let's talk about the Senate, specifically the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania and Georgia. It seems like your guys, Fetterman and Warnock, they're not been doing so great on the debate stage. And this is totally different from what you've told us in the past. So, Dave, can you now concede that Dr. Oz and Walker would be better than the Democrat alternatives? I love not a question, but a statement wanting confirmation. <laughs> well, let, let me address one at a time. And again, as I say, anyone who supports Herschel Walker, I don't think has much of a leg on to stand on. Pardon my pun in terms of uh, lecturing about the worthiness of Senate, Senate candidates. But let's take John Fetterman first, because as somebody with a disability, I truly felt for that man standing on the stage. And if I were a campaign manager, I would have not put him up there, because the bottom line is, if you're a Senate candidate you, and you don't debate, it's not fatal. It is in the presidential race, but not in the Senate race. And I think where, but sometimes you should do it. Like Katie Hobbs in Arizona, is not doing it. And I think that's a huge mistake because Carrie Lake, of all the election deniers, and there are 114 on the ballot, is the most scary because she's so telegenic. People know her. She was a TV reporter. And she's someone that could really do the most damage to our democracy. And Katie Hobbs is not is hiding out because she's worried that she's going to look worse on TV. Terrible idea. John Fetterman had a good reason not to. But I admire his courage for going up there. But putting that aside, this is what I would say. You know, I, I live in that world where people go through these types of things all the time. And again, it almost brought me to tears watching how strained he was in that debate. It was truly tragic. And what I would say is I know a lot of people who, even though they can't speak, their brains are still working right. And he should prove by writing or show that he can communicate in another form okay, that would allow him to show that his brain is still functioning, even if his speech is not. And I think that's the important thing. But having said that, I think Dr. Oz blew it on a couple of fronts. First of all, he's a doctor, a quack, but he's still a doctor and he should have been more sympathetic. He had a free hour where he could have you know, been em empathetic. And, and, and instead of saying, oh, I know this is hard for you to understand, John, and making other condescending comments like that, he could have said, you know, I understand, I'm a doctor. And he could have had a free hour to say what he wanted to say. Secondly, of course, he was perfect campaign fodder by saying that, that uh, women, doctors, and local officials, in other words, politicians, should be involved in all abortion decisions, which is exactly what a lot of Pennsylvania women don't want to hear. But on top of that, like most Republican candidates, no policies. He talked about inflation. He didn't say one thing about inflation, nothing. No policy ideas. And that's the same thing with the Republican Party. Remember, this is a party that didn't even have a platform in, in 2020. It was, what does Donald Trump want? That's our platform. No other party in history has never had a platform. Obviously, they don't have one this year either. But I do think John Fetterman, uh, and then I'm saying this as a fair-minded person, You know, as I say, unlike you, I see both sides fairly. I think he needs to prove to the people of Pennsylvania that his brain is working in, in a way that's uh, suitable for him to hold office. Your, your thoughts? Well, yes, I don't think uh, anybody's disputing we should have compassion for stroke victims. I mean, I've had loved ones who've had strokes and you know, my heart goes out to them for sure. Um, I think the big difference though between your case and his is that 
you and I debate, we spar, we go at it. We're able to do the things that are required for that specific role. You know, there's things like diplomacy. If he's if he's sitting on the foreign policy committee, how is he going to stand up to a Putin or Kim Jong-un or, or the, you know, the Iranian theocrats? I mean, that, that requires a certain level of verbal diplomacy that is requires strength. And, and so as much as I have compassion for him at a personal level, there's certain qualifications that just aren't there. So I, I just uh, but again, to me, it really does come down to policy and, and, Fetter, and Fetterman is wrong on policy. And he kept trying to backtrack and say that he loves fracking, trying to give a big old kiss to the fracking industry, even though for years he has said, I despise fracking. He called it a stain on the state of Pennsylvania. So he's a liar. He's trying to say one thing, but people know the truth that he despises fracking and he despises the working class people who make their living off of fracking. That's what he tell that's that's what people hear when he has said that over the course of his career. Now, see, so as much as people No, I'm just saying if you look down your nose and you say that we need to transition to a green economy but the technology just isn't there and the 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 fracking is the scapegoat. That's that's minimizing the livelihoods and the families and the people who work who, you know, food on the table from the fracking industry and Pennsylvania relies on it. So I, I just think, and from a you know policy perspective that uh, Republicans, including Dr. Oz, he understands crime is a, a major issue in Philadelphia and, and you know, having police get funding, having the uh, uh, inflation, that's a huge issue. There are all sorts of policies and I know we'll get into uh, later about, you know, debt ceiling, things like that, but we need fiscal responsibility for once. Okay, well, once again, you are conflating you're conflating uh, uh, someone's position on fracking to whether or not they support working class people. Now, let's just take a step back and look at, at this senatorial campaign. Now, I will say that the Democrats screwed up because let's be honest here. John Fetterman's stroke happened one week before the primary and the Democrats did still did not choose Connor Lamb, who's a more centrist candidate, mm -hmm. who I think could have won this race easily. Now, why do they not do that? John Fetterman has, has a special appeal as a politician, all right? I don't personally care for tattoos, but do you know what those tattoos are? Those are tattoos that recognize people that were killed in his community. So this is a guy that deeply cares about crime, and he's one of the few people, that's why he got the nomination, who truly cares about the interest of working class people in Pennsylvania. And that's why if you look at blue collar, look at blue collar whites in Pennsylvania, Okay, and they and they are supporting him far more than any other candidate. And again, there's no one who cares less about blue collar whites than Donald Trump. He was he governed as a populist. <laughs> he, he ran as a populist. He governed as a plutocrat. Okay, so that's why John Fetterman has the appeal. And I also think one more thing. I also think that we have we who tend to view this as aspiring pundits or those in Washington. We view it more technically. We don't. We we take a more cerebral approach. I think a lot of people in Pennsylvania might take a step back and take a more visceral look and say, you know what? Here's a guy who got up. He's one of us. He had the courage to go out there. He's running against some rich quack who doesn't even live in the state. Who's a carpetbagger. I'm going to give him a chance. So I don't think. And a lot of people have already voted. So I don't think the debate is going to have that much of make that much of a of a difference. Um, but I do think, again, it's very important that John Fetterman shows the people of Pennsylvania 
that he was not able to speak because he will recover. You ask any doctor, he's going to recover. It's probably going to be another six months to a year. So he'll, he'll, most of his term, he'll be fine, but he needs to show until then. Well, we don't know that, he, that because he, he won't release his medical records. Well, uh, we can, we don't uh, know that because he won't know, release you his ask, medical ask records. Doctors which is. People who, ask doctors of people like him who have been through strokes and they'll tell you. But anyway, here's my question. We don't know the details. I, well, you can ask people in his similar situation do recover 90% of them. But anyway, the, but we my don't question, know. Also, uh, well, I, I would okay, say. I don't want to. Let's, let's just move on because we, we're, we're limited in time. We, maybe we agree to disagree on that one. But my, my question is, uh, after a, uh, the debt limit was raised during Donald Trump's uh, four years, three times without any kind of confrontation, we're hearing noise from Kevin McCarthy and some of his, uh, shall we say, um, more extreme members that they're going to use the debt ceiling limit as a bargaining tool to try to extract concessions. And I just, I'm hoping that you seem to be a pretty reasonable person and that you're not going to, because to me, that's basically like going on a spending binge. And let's, let's let everyone know, nobody incurred uh, built up more debt in four years than Donald Trump, more than any president ever. Okay, so it's like you go on a spending spree and now you want to bounce the check that you send to the credit card company and risk the full fault, the full faith and good credit of the US. So let me pull a carry and give a statement that hopes for confirmation. I hope <laughs> you, you don't support that too. You're going to raise the debt, debt limit without any, without any conditions, right? You would support that? Well, I, I think that everything should be on the table. And the truth is that uh, I agree. Is that a that yes or a no? A I, I'll, I'll, everything's on the table. I, I, I agree with McCarthy. Yeah, I agree that there's the, the conditions under Trump are different from the conditions under Biden. And a responsible adult understands the difference between conditions. Oh, and a, I agree, a $2 though, trillion dollar to, tax to, to first, I'm saying I'm taking a step back here. First of all, to talk. Are you going to let me answer the question? First of all, under Trump, it was a different circumstance. It, and I do agree with you that there's a pox on both houses, that both houses need to be responsible about the debt. I will say under Trump in 2020, that was the throes of what was happening with coronavirus. We had no idea what we were dealing with. I think we overreacted at the end of the day and we spent too much. We absolutely did. And the Republicans they understood that and they tried to take the punch bowl away. This this binge spending, the reason why Democrats are going to lose the House and probably the Senate is because of their spending. It's because of inflation and the spending, which the Republicans once Biden took over, it was unanimous. They voted against it. So they are blameless when it comes to this spending. All right. Can there are other just, factors like, like regulations. The, let's, there let's, are other let's factors. So. Yeah, well, and and so, yeah, but it's all related because now we're over $30 trillion in debt. We are spending, our debt to GDP uh, ratio is highest than it's ever been since World War II. So we're spending as if we are in a wartime condition like World War II, but, but then Joe Biden tells us that coronavirus is over. And so we shouldn't be doing this. And what does he want to do? He wants to put on up to $1 trillion in student loan forgiveness, which is illegal, but still, he also wants to, uh, do so much more spending. So no, I think that Republicans should go to the table and they should have leverage here. And they should say, we're taking the punch bowl away. Let's make some cuts elsewhere. Let's be adults. If you want to take the punch bowl away, that's fine. You know, that's what, by the way, this is what just drives me crazy about when Republicans proposed a balanced budget amendment. Okay. 
Congress could balance the budget anytime it wanted. They're, they're, if the Republican yes. Congress could have done that when they proposed it. Okay, even you, you, you'll agree on that. Congress has the power of the purse, but they're, but they're such wimps that they try to pass the buck and try to do it through something that could literally, if we went into an economic downturn, if we had a balanced budget amendment, that could literally throw us into a depression because that's when the government needs to spend money. And by the way, yes, we did spend a lot on COVID release, and I, and I agree. I think it was a bipartisan thing. We didn't know things were going. But there was also a $2 trillion tax cut, over 80% of it, which went to the top 1%, that was totally unnecessary, that did very little, and as well as you know, uh, way higher defense spending than we needed. There was no effort to control spending. But the bottom line is, that's a moot point. Okay, when spending is approved by no. Congress and the Democrats didn't object to the debt limit increases when Trump was president. Okay, so this is something, again, when Republicans are in office, spending is fine. When Democrats are in office, all of a sudden spending is the devil. And you look back historically and you will see that. But the bottom line is this is Damn. the full faith and credit of the U.S. Okay, if, if the Republicans take over, then they can they can propose budget cuts Okay, that 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 will that will address that. You don't hold the full faith and credit of the United States hostage for money that has already been spent. Okay, if this were to if this were future spending, then you would have a point. But you don't. You this is like again, this is like bouncing your payment check to the credit card company after you've gone on a spending binge. It just makes absolutely no sense. It's shooting yourself in the foot. We're gonna have to agree to disagree because so uh, yeah. and again, well, will you acknowledge you at least that the de- we at least acknowledge that the Democrats didn't do it during the, the the Democrats at least saw the wisdom three times during the Trump administration. Okay, even after that awful tax no. cut, you know why? Which because Democrats, Democrats never debt. met a government Democrat, spending. No, 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 no that's not it. That they, that's not the same question. Yeah, it is. No, the no, point and is, the is, truth is they're that the, not the using tax cuts. The Democrats the have never tax cuts have paid the, for themselves. No, they have no. The Republican, BS, I'm trying to answer BS, you, Dave. Dave, I'm trying BS. to. Okay, forget I, it. I'm no, not no tax cut is ever. I'm paid trying for. to answer your question, but you're not letting me. No, but I'm just asking you to. I'm going to move on. Oh uh, yeah, no, but I'm just at, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I. <laughs> you're either going to let me answer it or you're not. Go ahead. So let's go just ahead. move on. <laughs> The, the Treasury, the U.S. Treasury, in terms of inflows, it's been record inflows. So you can't argue to me that somehow these tax cuts reduce the inflow from Treasury. No, it's to Treasury. No, it did not. These tax cuts, they paid for themselves. The middle class had record in 2019 and uh, the first part of 2020 before COVID. Middle class, low income people, they saw record income, record median household income, record household wealth for women, minorities. Um, so again, to our earlier conversation on John Fetterman, the road to hell is paved with nice little tattoos. You see that? I don't care about your intention. I care about okay. the outcome. And All the right. outcome of, of tax cuts is that it's been good for American workers. Okay. And, 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 and but the spending, and, and, and the thing is, you're totally right. It is a spending thing. Congress could at any point balance the budget. We agree on that. And we agree that there's a bipartisan problem. And, we, and, and, and we also agree that Democrats have never tried to block raising the desk ceiling when Republicans have been in, 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 in power in, in, the, in the White House. We also agree on that, right? That's because they love to spend. Well, no, it's all, I'm not asking for a reason, just, but it is true. Okay, so we agree on that. Let me just respond to your task cut thing because what you've done is exactly the same argument that Paul Ryan 
and Rob Portman and the supposed adults in the room made. And it's and it's a very it's a very it's really good subterfuge. It's you know and because yes, no. the initial parts of the tax cut, there was middle tax middle class tax relief. But guess what? That expires next year. Who knew? Yes, yes, yes. And the tax cuts well, for the wealthy. No, no, I didn't interrupt you. The tax cuts for the wealthy, those stay on till the end. See, that's how they were able to sell it as a middle class bill because they threw a few lollipops in at the beginning. Okay? So you have fallen for that trap, but our viewers should not fall for that trap because you can look it up. Starting in 2023, those middle class benefits phase out. But are you ready for this? Real shocker. The high-end tax cuts stay in through the very end. Hit me with your next best. Well, if you're talking about... Next question. If you're talking about... Oh, oh, right. There's a picture of Paul Ryan on my wall behind me. So we'll have to talk about this more because I think you're totally wrong. But let's move on. Uh, Okay. Um, So I I, want to talk about what's going to happen if you think there's a Democrat in the White House and Republicans controlling at least one congressional chamber after the election. Do you think we're going to have just pure gridlock investigations, or is there any bipartisan legislation that you think has any chance of getting passed? Well, you know, I would I would hope for the latter, but the indications I've heard, uh, unfortunately, I'm bracing for the former. Uh, and I would say right now, if Republicans take over the House, which I think anyone who's uh, more than reality would say is, I think, about at least a 90, 95% chance right now. Uh, I think something miraculous would have to happen for the Dems in the next uh, 12 days to change that. But having said that, yes, I think they, they will impeach Biden. I think they won't stop there. I think they'll try to impeach uh, uh, Merrick Garland. I think they'll try to impeach the Homeland Security chief. They'll, you know, it's going to be a, a tit for tat. You know, it's in Trump, in in, in in MAGA land, of which you're a proud member, it's all about retribution, right? It's not about policy, it's about revenge. So yes, that, I, think, I, I think that is gonna happen. And Kevin McCarthy, as I'm saying, is I think he's spineless and I think he's immoral and he just cares about power and he's not gonna stand up to these people because he, again, I've never seen a, a group of voters, a, new, a group of politicians more terrified of their own voters than today's Republican Party. And Kevin McCarthy is terrified of the base. He knows Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and the Paul Gosars and the Lauren Bobarts and all those nut jobs uh, have their finger on the pulse of the base. And so he's going to have to, at, at, on a good day, acquiesce and on a bad day, go along with what they want. So I think we're going to brace ourselves for more gridlock. And I may ask, I might add that Biden has at least passed some uh, bipartisan stuff and he's tried to pass some other bipartisan stuff. Some of it was not bipartisan, but there have been some efforts. But to answer your question, uh, I am not optimistic unless we get a different speaker of the House. And if the Republicans win by, I'd say more than, if they have more than a 10 or 15 seat majority, then I think I'm unfortunately McCarthy's a lock. We'll see. All right. My question to you is, as you know, there's been a constant barrage of uh, um, Republican attack ads on inflation and on crime and on all this stuff. And even though, uh, you know, crime in rural areas is actually worse 
than it is in a lot of cities. In fact, there was a big, you may have heard of the little bit of a Donnybrook they had in Oklahoma when the Republican gubernatorial nominee pointed out that the crime in Oklahoma City was worse than a lot of red, of blue cities and Brian Stitt had a cow about it, but it proved, it proved to be true. And uh, also I find it very hard to uh, believe that a party that so uh, uh, says it supports the police would look, shrugs his shoulders when 140 cops got brutalized on January 6th. But putting that aside, once again, there are no policy prescriptions that I've seen from the GOP about how do you deal with uh, crime. They just talk about open borders. They talk about runaway inflation. They talk about crime out of control. But, you know, as, in the, as was the case in 2020, there's really no platform. So enlighten us, Kerry. Please tell me what the Republican Party actually has in mind for real policy, not just obstruction and hyperbole, hyperbole to deal with these issues, which I admit are serious and need to be addressed. Yeah, well, I think it's two things. I think it's broken windows policing, which was developed by the conservative think tank called the Manhattan Institute, of which I used to work. Uh, it was developed under the Rudy Giuliani administration, and it was uh, continued under Mayor Bloomberg. And um, who's espousing who's that? Um, uh, that? That is a, a conservative understanding. But which politician you, in Washington? Are, which which uh, candidate is, 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 is espousing that? That... That's the whole concept of you don't uh, you don't handcuff the police, you don't defund the police. No, no, I, I agree with the policy. Policing. The no. policy of brick, broken windows policing uh, is a policy that that allows the police to do their job. No, no I understand. Instead that. of instead of demonizing them. So no, that's but the, the question policy is, but, that, but the question level. is, what the question is, which politician who's running for office is. It's talking about that, where is it in, in the Republican platform? Are the Republicans even, even going to have a platform this year? I haven't seen it yet. They they don't. This isn't a presidential election. The platform is usually every four years. Um, but so, yeah, it, it, it is. Seen but which as, politician? As, and, and to is, your is, point, is, when you're is, talking is, is, about Oklahoma City, that's an urban area. And the truth is, even if you have a Republican governor like Governor Stitt, these cities themselves are typically run by defund the police Democrats or or prosecutors and they want to they want to walk away. They want to. So, yeah, that's another policy. Actually uh, prosecute the crimes. This is this is part of why the New York governor race. It shouldn't even be close. It is. So the fact that that Kathy Hochul is having to spend as much as she is and spend as much time as she is, um, is a testament to the fact that she's failed. Uh, her prosecutors have failed. They're not actually doing what's under the law. I think that is a crisis of democracy. If you can't even, uh, it's, it's rejecting the victim's rights. So, I mean, that, that's one piece of it. And then there's also the criminal justice reform, which uh, the Trump administration led the way on in a bipartisan way on nonviolent criminal offenders. So I think you can walk and chew gum to be both prosecuting the crime and then also um, allowing for rehabilitation, especially for the low level nonviolent offenders. Well, well, again, you know, those are, as I said, those those are ideas that uh, I would I will agree with. And by the way, Look, even in some democratic cities, such as San Francisco, where I live, people have had enough and they, and they recall the DA there. So I think there is, some, there is some action. But my point is, you don't hear anything about this nationally from any of the people that are running for the House or the Senate. Okay, it's all about, you know, you have to vote for us because we're not as bad as the Democrats. 
And to me, you have to give people a reason to vote for you, not just to vote against someone else. And so that's why I haven't seen any serious senatorial candidate talking about broken windows policing. And you're not able to name one that is. So I'm hoping again that if there is a real change of power here, that maybe once we, we get past the campaign, that some of these ideas that I think could be adopted on a bipartisan way will be proposed. But I'm not hopeful. Well, if you're reminding me to say there's a specific person who used that phrase, broken windows policing, as opposed to, yes, Herschel Walker has said we need to refund the police. We need to prosecute the crimes. Then it's conceptually, it's the same thing. So you're splitting hairs, my friend. Uh, actually, no. And by the way, there may be three Democrats in the entire country who have actually pushed defund the police. All right. Not this true. Is, again, I, such I a, sent you a 10 hyper, minute montage. Exaggeration. And again, you know, refund the police, increase cops on the street. That, you know, that, that's so that's so trite. It's like, oh, well, let's end world hunger and, you know, uh, make sure that everyone has medicine. Yeah, of course, we, we, we want to do that. But I'm talking about specific policy ideas. And again, you know, getting back to Herschel Walker, yet another, another victim has come forward saying, or another uh, accuser has come forward saying that he drove her to the abortion clinic and he can pull a Trump all he wants and deny and deny. But there are letters, there are voicemails from him. You know, again, I'm sorry that character doesn't matter to you in candidates, but it does to a lot of the rest of us. I don't know the details of that case, but at last I heard that Raphael Warnock was a pastor and the one of the first principles of Christianity is forgiveness, redemption through Jesus Christ, uh, forgiving our sins. So I, that's what I find rich about all of this is that Raphael Warnock has never acknowledged uh, the fact that Herschel Walker has acknowledged his frailty, his sin, his wrongness and everything and his mental illness. And, and so the story of redemption, mark my words, if Herschel Walker wins, it's a story of redemption. And you're a cynic, Dave. And someday I hope you're not a cynic. Well, if he, if he were willing to change his ways and change his uh, style, then I might be hopeful. But I think a lot of people say, oh, I'm born again. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And I think it takes more than that. But in any case, well, I think we'll have to leave it there. As always, another great conversation Carrie, there's no one with whom I enjoy talking more, and I hope we can uh, inspire the rest of the political world to be more civil. I'm Dave Spencer. Thanks so much for joining us on Practically Political. See you next time.